Every Easter morning when I wake up, I say the same line to myself. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Mary Magdalene is the only Mary all four gospels have written into their pages as a witness to Jesus's death on the cross. We read that line, but we know she must have felt it. I can't help but think about how overwhelming and horrifying it was for her to stand there. How hopeless and helpless she must have felt watching. How did she feel when she finally mustered the strength to go home that day? What was it like as she tried to sleep? What was it like the next day and then the next day? Did she find herself suddenly breaking down in tears or screaming screams she didn't even recognize were inside of her? This person was Mary's beloved friend, her Lord and her Savior. As Friday rolled into Saturday and Saturday rolled into Sunday, there she was walking in the dark. It had to have mirrored the darkness that her soul was walking through. It had to have paralleled the light within her that was flickering and dimming in the aftershock of traumatic death. This year, this Holy Week, this day, we, Nashville, understand Mary's darkness. We are still overwhelmed and horrified. Some of us have had trouble sleeping. Some of us have suddenly broken down in tears. Some of us have heard or shrieked, shrieked screams we didn't recognize in ourselves. We are still walking through the dark, the light flickering and dimming within us. We are still bracing in the aftershock of traumatic death. When Mary arrives at the tomb, she is met with a different kind of aftershock a mysterious removal of this stone that blocked the entrance to Jesus's grave. Mary runs to find Peter and John, both of whom were told race to the tomb. John reaches the tomb first, looks inside, but doesn't go in. Peter goes straight into the tomb looking for Jesus. We're told that John then joins him and John saw and believed. And then came Mary's encounter. She stood outside the tomb crying because what else would she have been doing? She bent down and she looked in and these angels asked her why she was crying. She said, they've taken my Lord and I don't know where they've put him. Suddenly a man in the flesh appeared over her shoulder and asked her the same question. Mary, thinking that he was the gardener, said, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him. And then this gardener, Jesus, says one word, Mary. Every disciple that went to the tomb that day was dealing with their own experience of Jesus's death. And every one of you that comes to the tomb today 
is dealing with your own experiences of death. You are the one who knows where you're sitting today. You are fighting the debilitating, long, slow death of a terminal disease. You are dealing with your parents' aging di- your aging parents' diagnosis. You are dealing with your miscarriage. You are dealing with the death of your peers or your loved one. You are dealing with the death-dealing forces that feel like death but are not literal death. See, what I think and what I sense is that death for us is layered and it's stacked. Death is palpable. It is in our air. It is moving through our city like a fog. Death is not a distant headline for us. Death isn't something we are numb to. Death isn't a casual conversation. And that means some of us here today are in a darkness that we don't know how to get out of. And some of us are racing to the tomb, desperately in need of hope and any sign of new life. What encourages me today in our story is that each person walking through their own experience of death also has their own experience of resurrection. We're not actually told if Peter, like John, saw and believed, but he left satisfied enough to go back home. Maybe he still had questions and doubts and confusion, and maybe that's how you feel. John took one look and knew that those grave clothes and that empty tomb meant Jesus was alive. It didn't take much for him. And Mary, she needed that intimate encounter. She needed her friend to come back for her and whisper her name and assure her that resurrection was just as palpable as death. And so I have to believe that if death is so very real for us today, then because we need it most, so is resurrection. It isn't a story in our Bible to be read like a headline. It isn't casual conversation. It isn't something we are numb to. Resurrection can be in our air and in our lungs, and it can move through our city like a fog. What I want you to hear today is that Jesus sees your pain. Jesus sees your heart and Jesus knows what you're coming with today. Jesus knows what kind of resurrection you need to feel in order to believe that he has truly defeated death in all of its forms. During Lent this year in our church, we've been talking about the miracles of Jesus. John and his gospel calls them signs, things that reveal who Jesus is and point to the kingdom and make us have faith. And so as we've looked at all of these miracles, we've said, God, we wanna be transformed. We don't wanna be converted and changed. And so this water to wine story invited us to not live in a place of emptiness in our lives, but figure out how to live out of the overflow of God. This feeding of 5,000 people on a hillside invited us to let go of our resources so that everybody has enough. We encountered a walking on water miracle that allows us to be delivered from fear and grants us courage to stand up and be bold. We saw the healing of a blind man that asks us to open our spiritual eyes, to stay awake, to keep watch, to be alert in this world. We saw the healing of Jesus's friend Lazarus that reminded us that we have a role as Christ's people 
to help untie and unbind one another from the grip of death. Well, today we have another sign that is meant to change our lives. The sign of all signs, the miracle of all miracles, Jesus and his victory over death grants us life in eternity, life here and now, life over sin, a beginning instead of an end. But you know, that isn't it. The more that I read and reread this story, the more that I saw how it ran congruent to our experience here in Nashville. Every year I read back through the book of John. And as I got closer to Jesus's death, I saw that the men who came for him were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. Twice Jesus was slapped in the face. You know that he was flogged and spit on and a crown of thorns was placed on his head. That there he was on the cross saying that he was thirsty. It was hard to swallow and his tongue got stuck to the roof of his mouth and he thirsted for the rightness, for the righteousness of God. But it wasn't just physical violence. The religious leaders had it out for him because of all these signs, because of this kingdom of healing that he tried to usher in. And so they worked with the Roman Empire to make his death possible. They twisted his story and accused him of things he did not do. Yet still, with all of this violence, Jesus showed us another kingdom is possible. When Simon Peter drew out his sword in that garden and cut off Malchus's ear, Jesus said, put your sword away. When Pilate questioned him about being a king and told him to defend himself, Jesus said, look, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my people would fight in the same way that you fight. When people mocked him and told him to save himself, just as he had saved all those other people, he did not budge. When people tried to bend and twist his words and his actions, he did not bow down. Why can we have hope when we are grieving the loss of precious lives to violence? Why can we have hope when we witnessed unfair trials in our city? Why can we have hope when we are still terrified for our children? It's because resurrection is not just victory over death. It's victory over violent death. It is a force for life that responds to violence with non-violence. Yes, maybe the miracle of resurrection for us, for Nashville, is that violent death and violence never have the final word. Because of Jesus's resurrection, those sacred, innocent children are now wrapped in the eternal arms of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because of Jesus's resurrection, the death-dealing forces of this kingdom will never overcome the justice and mercy and goodness of a non-violent kingdom. And as people of resurrection, it is up to us to spread this counter-cultural message of God. The story did not end with Peter and John and Mary's personal experience of resurrection. 
It ended with Jesus saying to Mary, don't hold on to me. Go to your brothers and tell them I am going to my father and your father and my God and your God. And so Mary runs and she says, I've seen the Lord. And they knew what that meant. They knew that it was their turn to pick up where Jesus left off, to usher in a kingdom of peace instead of a kingdom of weapons. See, today I have to believe that even in our heartache and our suffering, we have seen the Lord, that even in the face of violence, we have witnessed his signs and his miracles in our midst. How have you seen Jesus? I saw him and I felt him Wednesday morning as I stood in a circle with other clergy in our capital and saying, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. I'm gonna believe that another world is possible. I saw the Lord when I read a post from about Dick Koontz, that husband of Catherine Koontz, who was the head of school at Covenant, At his funeral, her funeral, he stood up and he said, Catherine was a champion for others and among the first to recognize when someone was isolated and lacking support and burdened by shame. Therefore, honoring my wife compels us to remember a seventh family equally wounded in the loss of someone dear to them. I saw the Lord Thursday morning as people peacefully gathered in the rain at the Capitol and still one week later were crying out, Hosanna, save us, save our kids. I saw the Lord when one of the representatives said, if you do not listen to the cries of the people, even the stones will cry out. His reference was to Luke chapter 37, where Jesus comes down from the Mount of Olives and the crowd that is gathering there is so loud, joyfully praising God. And it says they're doing that because of all the miracles they had seen. Some of the Pharisees rebuked Jesus. They said, tell your disciples to be quiet. And it was Jesus who said, if I tell them to keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. And so today, this mysterious aftershock at the tomb paints a portrait of a stone crying out when everyone else is silenced. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. Some of us may be in the dark. Some of us may be defeated by violence. Some of us may be struggling with death-dealing forces that nobody else knows about, but today, Today, we can still joyfully praise God and testify because even in our heartache, we have seen the Lord. Even in our heartache, we know that the God of miracles is at work. Do not give up, do not give in. The message of Easter is the strongest when you are standing on the precipice of hopelessness and helplessness. Death is defeated, death will never win. Violence does not have the final word. Thanks be to God, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed, amen.